Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Scott. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here. And um, we are glad that you've been here to worship. Um, we have the unusual opportunity today, it happens every now and then, to recognize uh, a passage that God is bringing about in the lives of one of our families. So I'm going to invite Juan and Anna to come and stand with me. Can you give me my slide there, Chris? Thank you. Uh, My slide. Thank you. All right. So most of you guys know these guys. I'm going to let you hold that for just a minute. I know you enjoy doing that. But some of you already know and some of you are finding out uh, right now that uh, Juan and Anna, who have been a part of this church family for a number of years... Uh, along with their precious children, uh, have had a sense of call from God in recent days to be a part of a new church plant that is underway in Renton, as it turns out, just minutes from where they live. And um, so we are having the bittersweet uh, moment today of celebrating what God's doing in their life and how He is going to continue to bring uh, grace and ministry through them into the lives of others. Uh, But at the same time, it means we get to see them less. And um, we're not saying a goodbye as much as we're saying, God bless you. We're commissioning you. We're with you. We're going to continue to pray for you as God unfolds this new chapter in their lives. So uh, say a word to us about the church that you're about to go to. Well, I think starting from the beginning, um, we wouldn't be at this spot of, you know, thinking about changing churches at all if just life circumstances hadn't just piled up and, you know, we really started praying and we say, God, we're just trying to make it fit. We're trying to serve effectively. We're trying to, you know, connect. And, you know, we couldn't even go to share group at one point. So we were like, you know, all the stresses came up and we came to the point where we were just praying and we said, you know, well, God, what next? You know, we're, we need to... Something needs to change at this point, you know. And um, so I think um, I um, so it's really heartbreaking because we're it's like losing family, and you said that too. And we've grown with you guys, and we've just been so blessed by you guys. And you know, again, this isn't the end, but (laughs) still, it hurts. Yeah, yeah, amen. And um. So we were just um, mightily blessed to be connected to this church, Imago Day in Renton. And um, they're actually um, part of a Seattle church planting um, that is supported by the North American Mission Board, Southern Baptist Association. And we were really um, wanted to be staying under that network, under the hub with Scott, you know. And um, it just happened that just through some connections, we were able to really just go visit and see what it was like. And um, it's definitely starting from scratch. And, you know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. We have to roll up our sleeves and go. But, you know, we're just we're excited, but we're sad at the same time. And, you know, we're, we're definitely been had so many ups and downs with this church. And as far as, you know, in our life, and you guys have been so supportive in getting us to where we are now. But... Um, so we're really grateful and for the amount of just awesome support that you have been, uh, you know, the amount of giving that you, to get us to where we are now, it's just been incredible, but, so, 
So uh, for those that aren't uh, aware of other languages, Imago Dei means what? Yeah, as you told me, image of God. Image of God, right? Yes, okay. And um, the, and for those of you that were part of our early days, you'll have flashbacks. Kind of the portable church thing that's happening right now has you meeting and worshiping in what kind of place? <laughs> it's uh, basically a community center, uh, which is pretty interesting because there's a church service before the one that we go to. And then there's one after, so it's kind of like, all right, get in, do your thing, get out, because there's another one coming after you. Uh, but it's which is really cool because uh, throughout the week they serve like homeless people, uh, and so uh, you know during the week or during the service we'll just have people coming in, and you know they're just wanting a need, and uh, so it's been very eye-opening for us, uh, you know humbling experience in so many ways and uh but like Anna mentioned you know uh we are they're going to put us to work and one of the things that John or the pastor there said you know get ready to work like a Mexican so I don't know that, uh, did you understand what he meant yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, but uh yeah so well speaking of which give us a little demographic picture what's it look like there uh, it's very unusual. Uh, so if you could imagine, uh, I would say about 30% are Asian, uh, another 10, 15% are Hispanics, uh, and then the rest is half white and half black. And, uh, it's very, I mean, it's just weird setting for us in a mm-hmm. lot of ways, you know, we're so used to being the only minorities. Uh, <laughs> so, now the whites are the minorities, and it's like, okay, I guess we have to be nice to them now, I guess. <laughs> okay, for well, those that are newer, I'm just joking. Okay? <laughs> Boy, do we have to pray. Take it away from <laughs> really interesting when we sat down with the pastor when we visited and he was welcoming us. Um, he said that, you know, he said, you know, he was kind of asking our background, where we're from, whether we're Christians, things like that. And he said, you know, you're, um, and knowing just how plugged in we are with this church, he, he said, you know, you, you're actually the minority in that sense um, that almost half of the church is unchurched. A lot of them don't even know who Christ is, they're still seeking, they're coming, some, some of them come just for the food because they're homeless, and so it was really eye-opening for me to see that, and I thought, wow, you know, we live here, we live very close by, we don't know our neighbors very well, and we want to reach out to everybody in our community as well over there, so, you know, there was a part of that that kind of opened our eyes to, okay, this is the, the next part in our lives together, so. Hmm. Well, um, and for those, again, who remember our early days, uh, it's rare when solid, discipled, believing type people walk in the door, ready to roll up sleeves and serve, not just be the ones who get served. And so uh, I know what a treasure you are to us and what you're going to be and already are to them. And so we celebrate that. And we want to pray for you. I'm gonna, I'll go ahead and take that from you now. 
And um, so just join your heart with mine and uh, let's pray for these guys for a moment. Lord, you know how much we love these guys and what a, a gift and a joy they are to us. And we know that they are to Imago Day and to that pastor there. And we just pray that as uh, we send them, that they go in your grace. They go in your power. And uh, that something of Meadowbrook goes with them uh, that blesses that church and causes that church to be a part of kingdom expansion that glorifies Jesus and makes a difference in the lives of people. And uh, we pray that in the weeks and months and years to come that we hear Stories of gratitude and praise from their lips about how you have been at work in and around them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you guys. All right. We um, are beginning a new series of talks today. And we're talking about what does it mean to be the people of God, particularly when we're people of God in this world. But we're not of this world. Since we're people of God, we're of another world. And what does that look like? Uh, Most of you probably had similar experiences to my own when you were growing up. And that is that uh, mom and dad, or maybe one more than the other, basically set the parameters, set the standards for what's it going to be like to live in this family. Right? Right? I mean, uh, my parents said, you will behave in this kind of way. You will keep your room clean. You will sit down and eat at our table what we put before you. And that included a lot of things I didn't like. Surprising, I know. And uh, you will do chores around here. You will pull your weight and do some of the things that we need done that uh, help this household to function. And you will do all of that with a certain kind of attitude. Uh, You will be pleasant. And you will be easy to get along with. And if you don't, you will lose various privileges and opportunities. Life can be very unpleasant if you don't get along in our household the way that we say get along. Similar circumstances to yours. And, of course, that prepares us for so many other scenarios when we actually leave home. Uh, It prepares you for a a new kind of life and environment when you go to college or if you ended up going into military service. Uh, Later, if you uh, ended up marrying someone and establishing your own family, uh, all of these things help you to know how to get along with other people and live in sane kinds of ways. So you get involved uh, in that entry job in that new company. You've got to figure out how to get along there. So it is with God. If you want to have a relationship with God, and He's not just this transcendent other one that's way out there, that's kind of detached and just kind of barely knows what's going on here, but He is an up-close, personal, intimate God, who establishes a relationship with us and does so on His terms. He sets the standard since He is God and we are not. 
I always feel the, the need to remind us of that. So we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy 12 to see a little bit about what God has to say about what it's going to look like to be in relationship with Him. Uh, we are in week 11 starting today. For those of you that are doing the Bible reading plan across this year, and if you haven't joined us yet or if you don't know about that, there's some information in your program that tells you, or you can get online to our website, get the reading plan. It's a chronological plan, so we're going right along in chronology from beginning to end in the Bible. And um, as you start getting more into Deuteronomy this week, uh, we're backing up and looking at chapter 12 to kind of set the stage. Because Deuteronomy is basically all about how do people get along with God? How do you have a relationship with God. What are God's expectations? What's his standard? So pick it up with me in verse 1. He says, These are the statutes and the rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess. So as you know, delivered them from slavery in Egypt, has taken them across a wilderness wandering, and is now about to take them into a promised land. He's saying, Now, as you come into this land... Here's how you're going to get along with me. Here's how you're going to relate to me. All the days that you live on the earth. Verse 2, you shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, you shall tear down their altars you shall dash in pieces their pillars and burn their Asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of this place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There... You shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contributions that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice. And you and your households and all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing what is right in his own eyes. So basically God says, you're going to come into this land, you're going to tear down idols, and you're going to build altars to me. This is going to be a place where you know me, where you relate to me, where you worship me, where you serve me, where I will bless you. And it's not going to happen. It's not going to continue with everyone doing what is right in his own eyes. In other words, this is no longer your agenda. This is my agenda. Does that sound well with you? Is that okay with you? Because as we start translating and applying that to today, there's not a lot that's been uh, changing from what God originally did with his people all those centuries ago. He's still God. We're still not. He still sets the standards and we don't. He still calls for us to tear down idols and to set up 
ways of worshiping Him and honoring Him and engaging Him and knowing His blessing in the land, in this world. Now, I'm going to talk about how we get at this destroying idols and how we get at this worshiping only God. And a key skill that's going to be necessary for you in all of this process, and it's just one key skill, and that is that you learn identification. You learn to identify what are the idols. What are the things that become too big, too important? And what are the ways that God is inviting me to worship Him, to experience Him, to honor Him? One primary skill, identification. And the good news is God doesn't leave you alone about that. He gives you grace to help you with the work of identification. Now, I'm going to um, illustrate that for you with a little story that's happened. I can't get my slides to work correctly. Karen, come stand with me. So most of you know Karen Crosby, and she uh, uh, actually just did a little testimony time with us not too long ago, but she has the misfortune to be in my small group. And so uh, some things were going on in our group time not too long ago, and it was kind of funny because as it unfolded, everybody in the group said, you know Scott's going to ask you to tell about that. And so here we are. <laughs> right. So uh, as many of you are aware, we're approaching Easter. And the season that leads into Easter is called Lent. And all of that is launched on Ash Wednesday. We don't make a big deal about that across the life of the church. Um, but we were kind of talking about these things in our small group. And uh, in preparation for our group meeting, which just happened to fall on Ash Wednesday, I had sent out a few things about Lent and, and how it's not just a time of giving up things. You know, we typically think I'm going to give up something I really like for God, like chocolate or meat or whatever. But it's really a time of focusing on God and focusing on my Life being a place of honor to Him, a place of worship to Him, so that I can rightly celebrate Easter when uh, the whole celebration of uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ takes place. So I had sent out an email to my group, kind of preparing them for this initial conversation on Ash Wednesday. And uh, Karen, along with everybody else, gets the email. And she actually read it and paid attention to it. <laughs> and uh, why don't you tell us kind of what happened from that point? Well, I read the email and I have never fasted for Ash Wednesday before um, or given up anything for Lent. So it was kind of stirring in me that, you know, maybe I should start this year, you know, start, you know, maybe being prayerful about it and, you know, and fasting for Ash Wednesday and then seeing what God does with that. And um, my husband had mentioned he saw somebody, you know, that had given up Facebook for Lent. And I was like, oh no, there's no ways I'm getting on Facebook. <laughs> I connect with everybody in church on Facebook. I play Scrabble with a lot of you in this room on Facebook. And, um, you know, and then TV was another one. I was like, oh no, can't give up the TV. It's got to be something else, you know, maybe candy or, you know, I'll lose a little bit of weight then as well. So, you know, kind of good things. And um, so the next morning, which was, 
Ash Wednesday, I kind of thought about it as well. And again, it was, no, I'm not giving up Facebook. I can't do that. And um, so I was in the car riding to work and I was, and I fasted for Wednesday and I was just very prayerful and I said to God, you know, on the way to work, I've got an hour drive and I was like, Lord, um, speak to me. You know, if you have anything you want to tell me or work through me um, today, please speak to me. And the first thing that came to my mind was Jeremiah 3. And so I was like, okay. So I had my little calendar diary with me. And while I'm driving, I'm quickly, you know, scribbling down Jeremiah 3. And then I was like, okay, well, the whole chapter? or And then it was verse 13. So I wrote it down. And I was expecting it to be this, you know, you're wonderful and I love you and, you know, all the good, wonderful things that God says to us through the Bible. And so I was really shocked when I actually read it because it wasn't so nice (laughs) as I thought it would be. So here it is. Only acknowledge your guilt. Admit that you rebelled against the Lord your God and committed adultery against him by worshipping idols under every green tree. Confess that you have refused to listen to my voice. I, the Lord, have spoken. So it was... Uh, hey, let me give a little time out. <laughs> a little time out. Because I, I don't want this to be lost on people. But, so you'd already had a little exchange with God. You felt some impression and stirring from God. Kind of suppressed it. I don't want to do that. (laughs) Next day you're doing the drive. God, anything you want to say to me? This is personal, friends. This is like the way it happens with Christians. And there's this interaction thing that takes place. And he brings to your mind Jeremiah 3. A whole chapter, a verse, and then you think 13. You don't have a clue what that is. Uh, not at all. As far as you know, you've never read that yeah. passage. You write it down. Mm-hmm. You get to work. You stop. You open up to read what it says. Mm-hmm. Read that again. <laughs> <laughs> Only acknowledge your guilt. Admit that you rebelled against the Lord your God and committed adultery against him by worshipping idols under every green tree. Confess that you refuse to listen to my voice. I, the Lord, have spoken. So what would you do with that? What, how'd that make you feel? <laughs> I felt like God had slapped me across the back of my head. <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a lot to process because, again, I was expecting something nice, warm and fuzzy, and then um, I now had to actually sit and think, okay, he's given me this verse, I need to listen to him. And it was kind of almost, I mean, you know, ah, the Lord has spoken. Just, yeah, it was crazy. Um, So I spent the whole day, you know, thinking about it. And then when I got to group, Scott was asking, has anybody, you know, fasted today? And I kind of, um, you know, told the group about it and what had happened and, um, and still at that stage, I was still kind of in the, like, I don't want to Facebook, <laughs> you know? And, um, and God said, so, um, God said, sorry, Scott said. Um, <laughs> God said. Um, so confusing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he said, so, you know, what are you going to do about that? And, um, 
And by that evening, I had gone home and I was just, you know, kind of convicted that evening that I needed to get off Facebook. And um, so I did. And in the next couple of days, it kind of was becoming more and more clear to me that Facebook wasn't the real problem. It was Facebook, it was the internet, it was technology altogether. Because even though I was giving up Facebook, um, I was thinking, you know, give up Facebook and then I can spend more time reading in the Bible and talking to God. Um, It kind of became giving up Facebook, but now I'm sitting on um, Pinterest and Etsy.com and eBay and, you know, and I'm doing... Still, I'm still on the internet. I'm still searching. I'm still, I'm just filling the time from Facebook on other internet activities. So, um, so I'm still working with that, and it's really hard. I've, you know, I'm in the morning. I used to watch TV before I go to work, and I'd used to sit in front of the TV and watch. And now I've given up TV in the morning. So, it's all, it's a process. And um, yeah. So. Is there some kind of payoff to that? I mean, you're going through all this. Is this like, there's a point to it? There's an outcome? Well, what I have felt over um, since then is um, I've felt God being a lot more present in my life in everything. Like, not just the bigger things where I would, you know, where you would turn to God and, you know, something big happens or if you've got a big decision coming up. Um, he's been involved a lot more and I've felt his presence a lot more in just the smallest of things. I mean, just tiny things, talking to people, doing stuff around the house. And, um, and also when I'm getting onto the internet, I'm kind of, you know, I'm not going to give up Facebook forever. So, <laughs> um, so there's people who are halfway through Scrabble games with me. I'll be back to them. <laughs> but um, he's... he's <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, again, he's starting to, when I'm going on the internet and that, I'm realizing when I'm doing too much. And so, yeah, he's speaking to me then as well. So been a real payoff. Yeah. Huge. Okay. Thanks for being in my group, and thanks for sharing your story with us today. I appreciate it. Okay. (laughs) All right. Now, what Karen has described really is something that's been common to believers throughout the centuries. Not the technology piece, but the identification of things that get in the way of our having a full, wholehearted relationship with with God. So let me pose this question to you. And I mean it legitimately, because I know you're here today, which means you're fairly religious people, and you take some of these things fairly seriously. And I mean this question in all seriousness. Are you a Christian? And by asking that, what does that mean? Are you people of God? Now, I'm going to invite you to flash back with me for a moment and and reflect on some early Christians that were in the city of Thessalonica in uh, the time after Jesus' resurrection. The Apostle Paul had now come on the scene and in a number of cities had started churches. And the one in Thessalonica was one of them. 
And he writes to them a letter that we call 1 Thessalonians. And in the first chapter, beginning with verse 8, he begins to say these things to them. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia or Greece, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. In other words, God has been at work in you in such powerful, far-reaching ways. We know that, not only because you tell us and you've spread it throughout Macedonia and Greece, but we know that because others are telling us about it. For they themselves report how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Not only have you told us, but everybody that knows you and watches your lives have been spreading the same news. These people are different. They are changed. Why is that? Because for one, they have turned from their idols. They had been living in Thessalonica like many other people in their culture. Uh, holding on to some of the things that the people in their culture said were very important. And they let go of those things. They turned from those things. And they turned to God. And it was so clear and so demonstrative, people around them knew this change happened. And they began to embrace God. When you turn to God, what does that mean? Well, he becomes first. He becomes most esteemed, most important, first allegiance. And so this is happening apparently in ways that everybody can see and everybody can tell. And the thing that is the part of what we call gospel that's good news is this. When they turned from idols and they turned to God, God accepted it. He received their repentance. Why? Because of Jesus. To finish the passage, we're told that they not only turned from idols and turned to God, but they also then began to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus, who died that sacrificial atoning death on our behalf, took God's wrath that's meant for idolaters and people who were unfaithful to him, he took that wrath upon himself so that God can and will accept our repentance, our turning to him, and will bless. Now remember, what's the skill that we're saying is involved here? Identification. That you can identify what are the idols and identify what are the ways that I can honor God, bless God, worship God, draw attention to God. And for Karen, it was in a very kind of mundane kind of way. Facebook, social media. And it was also in a very extraordinary way. He draws her attention to a passage that she doesn't have any clue what it is. And it is spot on to where she is and what her circumstances are in the moment. So, let's just pose a few questions that might help with our process of identification. If we're going to be the people of God, if we're going to be Christians, if we're going to be those who are known for what we have turned from, 
and what we have turned to. And that it all happens because of the grace that comes our way and the mercy through Jesus. Let's get some help on identification. What is it you most highly value? See, that is such a hard question for many of us that are religious because when you're in the church and when you go to a small group or you're reading the Bible through across the year, I mean, you're like, well, of course. God's most important. That's what I most value. And so to help us through our self-deceptions, let's ask some more questions. What do you think about by default? I mean, just... Pick whatever day, whatever circumstances are going on around your life. This tends to occupy your thinking a lot. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your spouse or some significant other. Maybe it's work. Deadlines. Products. Accomplishments. Maybe it's entertainment. Sports. Social media. Maybe it has to do with something you have acquired. And you are so excited to have this thing that you've acquired. You think about it a lot. What do you think about by default? Who or what do you trust or depend upon most? If your children that still are depending on parents a whole lot, I'm not talking about that because that's part of God's process to help you learn how to trust Him. But what about you guys that are trusting in a spouse too much rather than God? Or trusting in your personal abilities, strengths, talents, gifts, rather than really trusting in God about how to contend with life. What about trusting in your health? It's great to have health. But friends, health is not everything. And we can trust it. We can think about it. We can focus on it too much. Who or what do you fear the most? You fear that boss coming down on you? Fear loss of a job? Fear loss of income? Fear loss of health? Whatever you tend to fear most is what has become most important. Who or what captures your greatest zeal? What do you get the most excited about? I know you know the answers. You fill in the blank. It's God, 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 God. But is it? So in answer to the question, are you a Christian? In light of how it was answered for those Thessalonians, everybody knows they've turned from, they've turned to. They're living in the mercy and grace that's been provided by Jesus. Is that where it is for you? A few years ago, I had the opportunity to meet a young attorney who had uh, just come to Redmond. And we were talking about his uh, new practice that he was just getting underway. He had two partners. They were launching a practice just a few blocks from here. 
And uh, he was single at the time. And so as we were talking, we were just getting to know one another. I uh, was affirming the fact that he had accomplished what he'd already accomplished with his law credentials. And now he's launching his own practice. And, you know, gosh, what a great deep, what a great day that is for him. And I said, you know, gosh, and you're single. You can apply all this energy, all this focus to it. Um, I bet you're really burning the candle at both ends. And he immediately responded to me without any hesitation. No, I'm not. You see, I'm a Christian. And uh, I'm not going to allow my career to become too important to me. And I practice Sabbath. And I practice principles of pacing that I feel like God brings about in my life. Now, he didn't know I was a pastor. I hadn't even introduced myself really to him at that point. So it wasn't for my benefit that he said all that. That's just who he was. Are you a Christian? Are you people of God? Do you get what that means? Not just the acceptance of a doctrinal truth, but a way of life. For whom or what purpose do you work? If you work for the boss, the boss is too important. If you work for the paycheck so that you can provide for your family, the family is too important. If you work for the accomplishments and the success and the, the, the fame or attention it brings to your name, then you have self too important. The Bible is very clear. All work for people of God is done unto God. All these other things, pleasing bosses, meeting deadlines, providing for families, uh, having some sense of accomplishment, all these other things are way lesser second place type things to honoring Him, serving Him, worshiping Him through how you work. There was a knock at the door. A little girl goes to the door, opens the door. The man's on the other side of the door asking to speak to her daddy. She goes back to her daddy he says, Daddy, there's a man at the door here to see you. She, he says, well, honey, what's his name? And she says, she, he said his name was Zach. And her daddy began to murmur under his breath. Oh, I can't believe that guy's at my front door. Yeah, kind of murmuring in a way that his little girl didn't need to hear. And she's like, what's wrong, Daddy? What's wrong? No, 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 nothing, honey. You just go into your room. So he goes over to the door, opens it up, and there's the guy from the IRS again. What do you want? Well, I came to give you this. What do you mean? As if to say, I don't want to see you. I don't want you at my door. Why don't you leave? What do you mean? And he said, well, I came to bring you this refund. What? What are you talking about? What kind of game are you playing right now? And he says, well... I know you know. Others that I have dealt with also know that I have defrauded you. And I worked it so that you had to pay more taxes than what were due so that I could pocket the difference. And I'm here to refund that to you. And he looks at the amount and he goes, well, that's way more than I ever 
put into taxes. You see, I know, I know. You see, what I'm actually doing is I'm destroying an idol in my life. And so I have given you back four times the amount that I took from you. And, of course, those of you that know your Bible know that I'm talking about Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector in the day of Jesus. And he meets Jesus when Jesus comes to his town one day. Because he's a short guy, he can't see Jesus for the crowd. Climbs up into a tree. He's watching Jesus come by. Jesus sees him, calls him by name. How in the world do you know my name? Says, will you come down? Let me go home with you today. Stunned, Zacchaeus invites Jesus and Jesus' entourage, his disciples, to go home with him. And Zacchaeus is telling this man to whom he's giving the refund. As I sat around the table with Jesus and his disciples, men that had nothing, and I'm looking at all that I have, all that I've acquired, all the uh, goals that I have met from a child when I said, I will never be poor like my parents. I will have money that they don't have. I will have all the things that money can provide. As I'm looking at the contrast between us, they have God and nothing else. I have everything else, but I don't have God. I realize I'm the poor person at this table. They are the rich people. And I understood how bankrupt I am without God. And so I'm here to destroy that idol. And I'm giving you four times back in refund what I defrauded from you. And I'm going to do that with every person I defrauded. I'm going to destroy that idol so that I can more fully have God in my life. A little while later, the dad is sitting at his table looking at this refund. His wife comes in the room and says, Honey, what are you doing? He says, Well, I'm contemplating in light of this refund that we've just received how poor I am without God. I want to find this Jesus that Zacchaeus found. Have you found out what Zacchaeus found out? How busted, how empty, how uh, poverty-stricken we are without God who is the real treasure. With God's substitutes like money, like idols. This is an invitation to you. Kind of like the invitation that God gave to Karen. I am real. I want relationship with you. Here's how relationship happens. I set the standards. You agree to the standards. My standard is no idols. Nothing else even approaches the importance in your life that I will have in your life. I'm exclusive that kind of way. And you will turn from stuff and turn to me and esteem me best and first as Lord. You get that? 
for these weeks that we've been on this journey, have you been considering the evidence about God, the evidence about God's activities, the evidence about God's pursuit of your life, the evidence about God's mercy and grace that's been extended to you so that you can have a relationship with Him? Do you believe that? Will you believe that? Will you give yourself to Him as you take yourself away from other lesser things? It both have to happen. Repentance, turning from and turning to, is a necessity. Will you purpose to hear and obey God's relational promptings? Because, see, you can't be in a service like today without God's Spirit having met with us and stirring in our midst right now. He's already brought some things to your mind and to your thoughts that stand between Him and you. Tear them down. Destroy them. Dismember them. Get rid of these idols. Put them in their proper place. Will you hear and obey? Will you identify and tear those things down so that He can build your life up? I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to invite you to think and to meditate about these things for just a couple of minutes. But let me encourage you. Here's where we're headed with this. I'm going to encourage you to take the card that's attached to your program. It says connection card. And I'm going to encourage you, after I pray for you, to write on the backside of that something that you feel like God is helping you to identify, this becomes too important to me. This becomes too big. This becomes an idol. And I am committing it to God that He will tear these things down, that He will put them in their proper place so that my heart has more capacity for Him to worship Him, to honor Him, to know Him. And as you write that down, in a few moments I'll invite you to turn it in the offering so that it comes to my attention. We're going to pray for you. It will be a very confidential, private thing. Nobody else will know about it except for the three or four that meet with us in our staff meeting on Monday morning. Let me pray for you. So, Father, thank you for bringing us to this moment, a moment of identification. We want to identify with you, but we know we also have to identify the things that keep us from you. And so in this moment, will you help us? Will you give us grace? Will you give us insight? We allow us to see the things that are too big, too important, and to pull those things down. We set us free. We give us capacity for the real treasure in life that's you. Father, so that we can have the privilege of being your people. Search me, O God. Show me what's in my heart, I pray. 